Welcome to the Legend of the Death Race podcast. I'm your host, Tony Matisse, and every week we share legends from past death racers on the courage, power, and wisdom it takes to conquer life's obstacles. All of us death racers aspire to inspire you to create a life past your limits. Today's legend follows the story of death racer Ken Lubin, who competed in three death races. We're going to talk to Ken today about his experience in those death races. Ken, welcome to the show. Oh, it's great. Welcome to be on the show. It's, it was an amazing event, so I'm super excited to talk about it. It's been a few years, but I'll try to get those cobwebs of the memories, either good or bad, back out to everyone. Yeah, I'm sure once we dive into it, we'll start remembering and everything will come back to you. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. Like a, like a bad nightmare. So... Why don't you just take a moment to tell us kind of where you're from, what your occupation is, maybe a little about your athletic background, and just give a little introduction to who you are. Definitely. So I live outside of Boston. I live out in a small town called Princeton, Massachusetts, out near Wachusett Ski Area in Central Mass. And I grew up in this area. I never thought I'd live here, but I do. It's actually now that, now that I live here, I sort of like it. We just recently moved out, <laughs> out in a more rural area, so can continue to train as much as I want. But my background, I am an executive recruiter. I've been doing that for the last 20 years. I'm with a company called ZRG Partners, where I'm a managing director in the financial services practice. Prior to that, my athletic background, I was actually coaching ski racing. Everyone goes, how do you go from coaching ski racing to being an executive recruiter? And I was during the dot-com heyday, and all you really needed was a pulse and the ability to pick up a phone and start chatting with people. So that's a, 20 years later, I'm still in the business. So I don't know if that's good or a bad thing, but it's been a good run. Prior to that, though, like I said, I coached ski racing. I ski raced all through college. I grew up ski racing. Also, I bike raced a lot to stay in shape for ski racing and competed at both, you know, an elite level in both ski racing. I raced in college and NCAA Division One level in college, and it was a blast. And really just, it was always looking to become better, looking to push and see what you could do. And that's how I ended up getting into the death race. And the death race turned into adventure racing. And then adventure racing turned into building a house, which is probably one of the hardest adventure races I've done. Uh, (laughs) But it's, you know, it's something I'm passionate about. I actually run a podcast like this called Executive Athletes as well, where I'm chatting with executives who love to still train and race and try to become better and better in all different ways possible. So that's a little bit about, you know, about my background. I, you know, I, I just love to go out there. I, you know, one of my favorite things in the world is to go out and train and to sweat and to, you know, see what I can and can't do as, as I get older, it feels like it's a little bit harder, but you know, you're a little bit more sore, but you know, you got to capitalize on what you have to just keep going. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's great. It's kind of funny how it spirals. You, you you find one thing and then that leads to the next thing and the next challenge. The next thing you know, you're like, wow, I'm, t- I'm top of Mount Rainier. Cool. What's right. next? <laughs> right. And that's what it is. It's like a drug, right? And and I say endurance racers, and I use this in my podcast all the time, or you're either running from something or running to something. So, and sometimes absolutely. It could be, or it could be sometimes it's now I'm running to something or sometimes it's now I'm running from something. It's It's sort of that alone time that's great. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that alone time is is what a lot of us endurance athletes need and and find ourselves needing. I mean, I know for me personally, it was definitely I was running from a lot when I was going into my first couple death races. And then after a while, it switched to running towards something. So that'd be actually interesting to jump into. Were you running from something when you were doing the death race? (laughs) 
You know, I love, I just love to compete. That's really yeah. what it is. It's one of those things. It's like, hey, you know, I've won a lot of hard races in the past. And it was just like, hey, you know, this is sort of the next evolution of doing that. And I think people go into the death race, you know, for different reasons. And for me, it's pure competition. I love to go try. I love to try to win. I love to, you know, and it's not winning to go beat everyone else. It's really to beat myself is, yeah. is what I'm looking at. But it's, you know, you put me on the start line of anything and I'm not going to back down until <laughs> I'm either going to blow up or not. And, you know, that's what I went into. It was like, hey, you know, how can I go in there? How can I do it? How can I do the best possible? And that's, you know, really what I was always looking to do. Yeah, absolutely. So how old are you now and how old are you, were you when you first started doing the death race? Yeah, so I'm 46 now and I started, the first one I did was 2011 and that was the year, Joe Decker's second year doing it and I was with Joe most of the race and then it just got to a point where I was just unprepared. I, you know, was chafed beyond belief. I couldn't. Oh man. You know, it was just stuff that was, I had never been, I had psyched myself out because I had never really stayed up overnight during a race, that type of stuff. And it was a really good learning experience. So that, that was my first year. And then, you know, then I had to come back and, you know, we can go into this whole story, but came back my second year and ended up quitting 60 hours in, but we were four hours in the lead of everyone else. And then the last year, the two guys I quit with, we ended up finishing all together, one, two, and three, or tied for the win, or whatever you want to call it, you know, in 2013. So it's been, it's been an evolution. And then that turned into multi-day adventure racing, um, going for, you know, three, four, five days at a time. And What's like this? I said, it's, it's a blast. That's pretty awesome. So 2011, 2012, 2013 death races. 2011 was your first year. Uh, that was the Joe Decker year. I remember watching lots of videos about that. That's when I was first learning about it. And so my question is, is how did you find the death race? And what made you, I guess, want to do the death race? I don't know. I think I don't know if it was the New York Times article that came, you know, that I had seen. Yeah. And what's his name um, was doing it with uh Oh God, what I forget his name. The the Marine kid. I became friends with him, but obviously that was, he's not I think he's in Navy SEAL training now. So I saw that and it's like it's just something I gotta try. I got something I gotta do. It's something completely different than what I had ever done. You know, bike racing, mountain bike racing. It's you know, twenty-five miles on a mountain bike, thirty miles on a mountain bike, fifty miles on a mountain bike, or you know, road races and that type of stuff. And there was always the defined limit. And I think what it was interesting about it was that unknown of really going going someplace you didn't know because there was always a finish line and i love sort of the metaphor that joe created was everything that's going to get thrown in front of you is awesome you know you're never prepared and number two is there ever really a finish line right it's you know the finish line just keeps getting moved and moved yeah i absolutely love the metaphor for like life you know it's like there's no finish line in life other than death and and, and the death race like that's kind of how they made it. It's like, you don't know when that finish is coming and it's kind of keeps us on our toes and keeps us guessing and it just makes it more exciting. So, uh, I guess your why was mostly that you were just competitive and wanted to see if you could do this, right? Would that be right. accurate? Exactly. But, yes. That's so, really what it was. That was my why. It's like, Hey, let's just go out there and lay it on the line and go until you blow is really what it was. And I blew. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you had been doing mountain bike races and, some of these other long endurance type sports leading up to this. So what was your training like for the death race when you realized, okay, I'm going to sign up. I'm going to do this thing. I have no idea what to expect. Your training obviously has to change from what you probably were used to doing. How did it change? What did you do? How did you prepare? 
you know, I think the first year I just sort of prepared by carrying a lot of heavy stuff, right? I just became, you know, I get a weight vest, right? But one mm-hmm. of the things, some of the things I didn't prepare was chopping wood or having the right equipment or any of that stuff. And, and that's really a key to it is really, you know, study that piece of it of having the right axe or having the right bucket or having the right backpack or having, you know, that type of stuff. And, and the thing about it is no matter what you're going to tell someone, it's, you have to learn about it. You have to, you have to experience to learn it. And, yeah. And I hate to say it, but, and a lot of times it falls on deaf ears until you're like, holy shit. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's this piece of equipment that I need. Yes. And, yes. and it's that learning experience It's the same thing with all different other types of races I've done. It's right. It's, it's really just sort of trial by fire in terms of training. It was, I knew it was long, so I would just do a lot of young, long runs. I had two young kids and, I was never afraid to throw them in a baby jogger and go for a 20 mile run or, you know, a 25 mile run pushing the two of them. I would have to bribe them with candy and that type of stuff to, to get out there. But it was a, uh, it was awesome. It was, you know, I think what I found more recently now is I like the training more than actually the racing, right? So yeah. now I'm not even racing as much anymore, but I still love to train like I'm going to race. And but when a weekend comes, I want to spend time with my kids and, and that type of stuff. So that's sort of the next phase of development. But anyone that's getting into into this endurance stuff, like the death race, it's just just be open and willing and don't be afraid to try new things and be comfortable being uncomfortable. I think that's probably the biggest thing is don't be afraid to be cold. Um, some of the things, you know, after my first year, I was never really afraid to be cold, but it was I would sit you know, before Wim Hof was even around, I would, you know, sit in ice cold water, right? And just, yeah, I would chip out the ice in my local pond and then just go sit in it for, you know, five, 10 minutes with all your crap on, you know, that type of stuff. But that's how, you know, and that, but that's the type of stuff that sort of hardens you up, you know, to become better. And I, I think you, you hit it. I mean, that's, we talk about it a lot. It's, you have to be comfortable being uncomfortable because everything you're going to do is going to make you uncomfortable. And that goes for a lot of endurance racing, whether it's a triathlon or whatever. I mean, you're going to be uncomfortable. You're going for a long distance. It's not meant to be easy. And if you're not comfortable being uncomfortable, you're not prepared. <laughs> that's uh, what it is. You yeah. sign up for that, right? That's what yeah. you're looking for. If it was yeah. easy, everyone would do it. And I think the topic of gear is extremely important because I know I've seen so many people that, you know, come there and they are athletically super, super qualified and well-prepared, but then every once in a while they have a gear mishap or something and that that's it. The race is over and it's like, that sucks. So <laughs> gear is super important. Did you ever have any issues with gear that like almost affected your race? I mean, maybe cause you didn't fail because of it, but is there anything that like might well, have the first, the first year was the whole chafing thing, right? Like if I wore sort of, you know, under armor, you know, sort of tights or, shorts, I would have been much better off because physically I was fine. But it's a lot of times it's a simple thing that takes you out yeah, or your yeah. shoes can take you out or blisters or that stuff. But you, you know, you got to understand that, you know, duct tape's your friend. You can duct tape can save your feet. You can wrap, you know, the first, after that, I would just wrap my feet in duct tape on every toe. It's, you know, that type of stuff that you, it's, it may be uncomfortable when you're doing it. And for the first five minutes, it's in your sneakers. But after that, you're good to go. You know, little things like that, or you always, I'm always a big fan of having cam straps that you can use for anything. It can tie your backpack together. It can tie anything you have to your backpack. It can hold, it can make a backpack if you don't have anything else to make a backpack with, that type of stuff. So it's, you know, that duct tape and a good knife, you're you're pretty much taken care of. It's just, 
using the equipment the right way and really thinking about it. Compression straps, duct tape, good knife. Those are some yeah. key items that you all should consider getting if you're going to do a death <laughs> Yes. And then find a good way to take care of chafing. My personal favorite is using trail toes. I lather that stuff all over. Yeah. I mean, chafing sucks. And if you chafe, that can really end your race really quick. I remember I'd had an ultra marathon where I was probably 60 miles in and I started chafing and I was, I had some trail toes on me. So I, you know, lathered it up to, to reapply. And thankfully that was enough to get me to the finish. Right. Cause otherwise if I didn't have that with me, I might've been like, I can't do this anymore. This hurts too much. And that, and eat my last one is eat real food, right? You can only eat so much crap. You can only eat so many gels or bars or this or that. It's, I can't tell you I've raced with some of the top endurance racers in the world. And the crazy thing is they'll bring, you know, cheeseburgers from McDonald's because they don't go bad, right? But you're day yeah. three, day three into a race, and it's the best thing you've ever had in your life. You're like, why didn't I think about that? You, you're like jealous of the guys walking through the woods with a cheeseburger, but it's yeah. or a pizza or something like that because you get so sick of eating that crap. It's just, and, you, and you, then you don't want to eat it, and then it goes downhill. Yeah, and if you eat those all those bars and all those goos and all that stuff, and that's if that's your only source of fuel during these things, and you're going for sixty hours, I mean, uh, you're just asking for stomach problems. You're just asking for your stomach to, you know, just totally rebel against you. And real food is one of the best things. What kind of food did you eat out there? What was your um, go tos? You know, one of my always well, one of my go tos is always just you know I love peanut butter and jelly. It's easy. It that tastes good. It's, it's it's simple. It packs well. It doesn't, you know, really matter. That's how, like I said, you know, you can always get a pizza. You can wrap up pizza pretty easy in your backpack. Again, it, it travels well. It's pretty easy. It's, you know, probably four days in, it's probably a little too much, but a couple days in, you can still, you still eat it. And it, it yeah. just depends what your constitution is, right? Some people could never eat it. You know, I'm very fortunate because I can pretty much eat anything and it doesn't really affect me. So it's, you know, it's different, different for different bodies. I'm fortunate, you know, a lot of times the guys I've raced with and people I've raced with are very similar and can eat the same stuff. So it makes life a lot easier. Yeah. Especially when you can share it and like have different yes. things. That, <laughs> it's, it's definitely nice because sometimes you get to the point where like, I don't really want this, but the guy next to you is like, I'll have that. And then right. he's got something that you want, you can exchange. Pizza is a good one. I've, I've discovered that pizza, cold pizza is just like one of the best things you can have during any sort of endurance endeavor. <laughs> like, oh man, you have that after, you know. However many hours, it just makes you feel better. It puts a smile on your face, gets rid of the poopy face, and and you're kind of good to go. Yeah, yeah, it's that. And it's just, you know, and, and food and, you know, I think it's just attitude, right? It's really what it is. And it's the good thing about it is, right, you know, they, they do it during the height of the summer. So the nights are short. And it's amazing what can happen when the sun starts coming up. Um, oh, yeah. You start seeing sun around 3.30 anyway. So it doesn't really get dark till like 10.30 or 11. So you're only really in pure darkness for four or five hours. So that's the other piece of it is, you know, it, it may suck or you're uncomfortable, but it's amazing what the sun coming up can do for you. I have written about that so much. The sun coming up is just like, it's, it reinvigorates you. It's a whole new day. And I mean, every time it rose, I just remember being like, oh, this isn't so bad anymore. The dark can bring out, you know, all the nightmares and all the terrors and all the fear that some of us might have. It's really weird. Speaking of fear, is there any fears that you had going into this? You know, was there anything that you were scared about? You know, I think I said it earlier, the first time was in 2011. I had never really stayed up overnight. I had never done like the overnight thing. And 
I totally talked, I psyched myself out and I was 30 hours into it. The first night went fine and went through it. No, no issues. Cause we started at like eight o'clock at night, but it was night number two. And I just was like, Oh my God, I've, it was what brought me down. I think that and the chafing because I was just so in my head about it. But after that, it just, it allowed me to push through that for the next year and the next years after that to be like, Hey, you know, I'm not that I'm not sleeping, but I'm just losing a night of sleep. Right. And, mm-hmm. and it changes your perspective on sleep of saying, Hey, you know what, now it's a new day and it's time to just move on. It's, you know, are you, are you still alive? Can you still go? And yeah. You know, what, what's the record without sleep is like 11 days or 13 days or anything like that. It's That's just, a long time. Yeah. It's definitely not good to do it all the time, but no. if, you're just, if you're just doing it a couple of times, once a year or whatever, it's, it's not that bad and you'll get through it and it's okay. <laughs> I just, did, uh, I just, did a bunch of guys just did the eco challenge down in Fiji and it was like 10 days of racing and it's just, it's, you're, it's, it's craziness. That's awesome. So you were saying, how long did you make it in that first one? Was it you, that 2011, you said 30 hours? It was like 30 hours in, okay. you know, I quit, you know, I was, I quit and I was still in like second place or third place or something. I just, I'm, I just didn't have the capacity to go. I couldn't even walk. I couldn't, it was awful. So, so painful. <laughs> that's okay. Yeah, it's, it's it's lurking. You bounced back. And You're so, fine. you know, all of these races, there's lots of crazy things that they like to throw at us. I like to always kind of talk about what are some of the craziest things or the most, you know, just absurd things that you had to go through and, and how did you go through it? You know, I think it was just one of the craziest things. I think I almost, like I said, you sort of have amnesia, right? I guess it's like having kids. You don't even remember <laughs> what it was like when you weren't sleeping for days and days. And you have another one. But, you know, I think some of the craziness was, you know, is it the hiking then? Not really. You know, maybe carrying a rock for, you know, 20 hours. That That's a little crazy, but I rigged it up. So I was fine with that. It's just keeping going, right? And, and yeah. it's, it's, you know, I think the craziness is it's a bit of a game as well, just in like in life, right? You got to sort of play the game the right way and not spend yourself. You know, a lot of people go in and they, they, they spend themselves. They get themselves exhausted and tired. And it's not about that. It's about how long you can last. You don't, you know, the key is not be a hero on day one. It's be the <laughs> hero on day three, right? And, and it's thinking about that and thinking about strategy. And I think that's what this is. That's what a lot of stuff is, is thinking about the strategy of the race. And I, you know, I've been fortunate enough because I've done so many different ones and different types. And, you know, I might not be the fittest guy or maybe a few pounds heavier than, you know, some of these elite guys, but it's, you know, I, I understand the strategy behind it. I know what it takes when you need to go hard, but I also understand when you need to go easy as well. And I think that's probably one of the you know the the best things about it oh yeah talking about the craziness was the rolling that's that was 2012. <laughs> 2012 don don schwartz pj and i get to the rolling we're the first ones there and the field was five feet tall of grass no one had been in it before there was just tape on the side and we're like well, that was actually the grass was pretty tall when you guys got there. yeah there was no yeah it wasn't even down there was oh, the grass was no one had even been on it before us and so we had, we had gotten there and they said 20 laps and we did one lap and we sort of held one of the guys at the checkpoint hostage and said, no, we're not doing it 20 laps. And we got it done like six, which was still crazy. 
So okay. you guys actually negotiated us down to six. That's nice. Yeah. I, didn't, no, I, didn't know, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, we negotiated the whole raise from 20 to six. Wow. Because we would have been there. Because we were looking at how long it took us per lap, and it was like an hour and 10 minutes or something crazy. And so, yeah, we negotiated out of that to get out of that to, yeah, down to six laps. That was probably the craziest. And then mixing the bucket of guts there in the heat. Oh, was God, that was the worst. For those of you listening that don't know, this was uh, in 2012, they decided to make you do like a log rolling. Like you're, you are the log. You're lying on your side and you're rolling sideways. And you had to do a quarter mile lap. And so it turns out that Ken negotiated this down to six laps. I did <laughs> not know that. That's pretty cool. And each time you did this, you had to stir this bucket of guts that was just disgusting, like 10 stirs with a stick halfway through the lap, each lap. And it was just, it was the worst, most awful smelling thing you've ever had. And it's just, it's awful. (laughs) That was, was, that was definitely up there. So that's probably the craziest thing we had had. And I remember we both, you know, we all got there and we put, and it was hot and we, but we all put jackets and tights and everything on because we're rolling through the bugs and the ticks and the poison ivy and the bar. And it was, it was crazy. So, and then, you know, obviously it got a little bit easier each lap, but we were still, you know, it took three laps until anyone else showed up and started, you know, and started to do it. So it was, yeah, that was probably one of the craziest things we had done. So I imagine you guys were a little bit lucky by being there so early and being the first ones. You probably didn't have to roll through as much puke as I did. <laughs> no, not at all. We were pretty good. We were pretty good on that one. We, we talked about that yeah. later. Man, by the time I got there, it was brutal. It was like you could just smell it everywhere. And you just yeah. you just knew it was happening. And you're just like, I'm I, I covered everything up. And I remember <laughs> I remember Jack just looking at me like he's like, You're smart. You're one of those smart ones. I haven't seen many people cover up. And I put like, you know, sleeves, face mask. I was like, I'm not gonna go roll in this or whatever. I don't know what they're making me roll in, but <laughs> yeah. It was nasty. So, yeah, no, we were fortunate with that one. And yeah, I think by the time we were done, only like four or five people had, you know, had done the whole thing after us. So it worked out. That's pretty. But yeah, crazy. that was the craziest. So, what happened after that? You guys did that, and then wasn't there another task? So we went back. So that was Sunday night at like six o'clock or something like that, right? So mm-hmm. we we walked back thinking that we were, you know, oh, we're going to go back to the farm and be done and call it a day. And after that, you know, we went back, and Joe's like, "Go get a bucket, get some rocks, go back up over the top of the mountain." And we, at that point, the finish was, they had already moved the timing back to the rolling because the race was going to be done after the rolling. And we we're already way ahead of it. And Joe's like, no, you got to go do this. And we're like, no. And he's like, no, you got to do it. I'm like, well, no, we're not. Me, you know, all three of us, we just quit on the spot right then and there. And yeah, it was very interesting. And I think, you know, then for a week afterwards, Joe and Andy kept asking us why we quit, why we quit. We're like, all right, we're all like 40 years old. It's Sunday night. We're four hours in the lead and it's time to move on in our lives. <laughs> it's really what, <laughs> what it came down to. And yeah, so, you know, we went and again, you know, yeah, we're officially quitters, but, you know, we're pretty far ahead of everyone at that point. So then next year, we're, then what happened after that, Joe put 15 grand on the line of the team Ultra Beast, the go win that winner's team take all. So we're like, all right, let's go do that. Let's go earn our money. So you don't earn any money at the death race, but we won 15 grand at the uh, Team Ultra Beast. So we went up there and did that, which was which was redemption. And then That's we came back awesome. and then, then we all came back and then we all finished together. So the following year, 2013. 
That's pretty cool. So, I mean, I guess you kind of answered how you guys felt after. Do you still feel good about the fact that like you made that decision at that time? To quit? No, it's awful. You know, yeah. we forever. Yeah. And it was like, you know, yeah, you know, quitting sucks. It's it's probably the worst thing we could have done. And but again, it was, was there a lesson up- that you learned? Yeah, don't quit. <laughs> don't quit. There you go. <laughs> Just don't quit. <laughs> right. You know, I think the lesson though, but we, you know, and like we all have in this race, right? You, you form bonds with the people that you're sort of racing with and that type of stuff. And I think, you know, that allowed me to form bonds with those guys. And that year we went and did the Ultra Beast. You know, we won that money. We came back. We all finished together. Same thing at the death race the following year. That following year in 2013, we went on to the world's toughest mudder and we get third. And that is the world's toughest mudder and that as a team. And, you know, our combined age was like 160 years old. So the next youngest team was like, you know, like 100 or something like that. Right? <laughs> so it, was, it was unbelievable. And then now I still race with, I do adventure racing with PJ that I met at the death race and Shelly Koenig, who's won the girls a couple of times, mm-hmm. is, is on our adventure race team as well. So, you know, some of the stuff and the bonds that you've created through this hardship and, you know, is it really hardship? No, it's self, you know, you're doing it yourself to see yeah, if it's self-inflicted. It, right? but, yeah, it's, it's not going to war, right? You know, I would always say we're in the middle of the woods and it sucks and it's like, hey, these people aren't shooting at us, right? You, know, right? you have much more respect for the guys and, you know, in war when they're shooting at you and, you know, we're paying to do this stuff. And so it's, you know, yes, it's a challenge. It's it's pushing yourself to see what you can do, but also you got to put it in perspective as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's really important. So 2013 death race, you guys crushed one, if I recall, how did that, how did that play out? You know, it was, we just sort of, our main goal was to really just stay together. I think that's one of the things. You guys created the bond in 2012 and you're like, we're just going to go into 2013. Yeah, we're just going to go 2013, stay together and just, you know, help each other out. There are plenty of times that any one of us could have dropped someone and, you know, run off and, you know, and gone for the win or done that. And, you know, we didn't, that wasn't sort of our MO. It's like, hey, let's, it's. Even though it wasn't a team event, it turns into, you know, just keeping, you know, keeping each other accountable is what yeah. a lot of it is, is say, hey, you know, it's and a lot of times not that you want to cheat, but you just want to, you know, push the limits a little bit. And it's like, no, let's just do it the right way. And let's just, you know, let's go through it and let's, you know, be proud of what we did. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's one of the coolest things I've just, you know, I found out about when I did the death race was. Yeah, all of you are you know, everyone's here you're in a race you're competing but like for whatever you know because of the dynamics that are created by the race directors and everything it kind of changes and everyone wants to team up against them and it's like you form these bonds and you're like you know what no like we're all almost together we're right. all on the same mission we have the same goal is to finish and we're going to help each other get there it doesn't matter even the competitive people too like i see it with you know i've seen it with everyone at the top like people form bonds they want to fight together and it's pretty cool that it, this event has that ability to like kind of make people throw away the competition a little bit and be like right. no, let's, let's do this it's fascinating during the 2013 death race what was the hardest thing that you had to do anything come to mind you know i suck at swimming so the swimming thing was awful i was fortunate enough i didn't have to do the you know the third lap yeah. so you, you spun the wheel spun the I wheel spin, yeah yeah and I was able to go, PJ and I were able to go, Don had to do another one, but he's like a world champion, like water skier. So he like went and whipped it out and was like, you know, caught back up to us. But that's what, yeah, that wasn't fun. 
but yeah, you know, it that's is what it is. But you know, you have a life jacket on, you're not going to drown, and there's someone out there in a boat. So yeah. again, it's all about perspective, right? It's like, all right, they're not going to let me drown. I have a life jacket on, I'm not going to die. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, you might be cold, you might be cold a little bit, and that's about it. But no. Yeah, I found out that that was my like Crips night or whatever. Like it destroyed. Yeah. I am terrified of cold and been really trying to work on it still to this day. <laughs> <laughs> Some people, yeah. you know, it's it's hard. It's you know, it's that's hard. I'm just... Ski racing, right? So yeah. we're on train in the cold. It could be twenty below zero and cold. It could be thirty degrees and pouring rain, and you're still out there training it. And it's just sort of part of life, as is what it is. But I. For people that aren't used to cold, it's it can take your breath away. It's it really it's, can. It's scary. I've been in some pretty scary situations when I've been prepared, and it's like, hey, this could go sideways fast if you don't have this or you don't have that. Yeah, absolutely. Where did um? I mean, I kind of ask this question a lot because I think it's interesting. I think some people are maybe more genetically born with this, and I think other people may have to like develop it over time. So, where did your courage for you know, come to do this event. And, you know, do you think it's something that you just were born with having this courage to kind of try these really scary things? Or is it something that over time you've developed? And do you think like, you know, you can, there's a way we can teach people right. how to develop this courage? I, you know, so crazy story. My dad was a Green Beret in Vietnam. So I okay. learned, I started, I did a lot of, you know, crazy stuff as a kid that most yeah, people you, you grew up with shouldn't be doing right and you know like you should or shouldn't be alive on a bunch of the stuff of like cliffs i would jump off of or stuff we would do so and you know and i don't is that innate i think i think a lot of it is i think you know that type of courage is a bit innate right and you know is it are you going to tackle it and but also in the same sentence it's it's training yourself it's training yourself and in tough situations on how are you going to react, right? It's, it's exposing your, you know, and I think a lot, I think that's the biggest fear is just exposing yourself to that. It could be to public speaking. It could be to doing a podcast like this. It could be putting an event on. I know I remember when I started the whole executive athletes things, I would put events on and then starting the podcast. And then, you know, it's scary. It's scary stuff, but it's realizing that, you're not going to die, right? Yeah. You may die, but you know, <laughs> more often than not, you're not going to die. And by putting a podcast or making the phone call, that sales caller, going to do the death race, you know, most of these races have a high level of safety involved with them because, you know, they have to in order to, you know, in order to live. It's in reality, it's probably much safer to go do the death race or go to an adventure race or go do something than getting in your car and driving through Boston, right? The likelihood of dying in your car driving through Boston is much higher than anything happening in a race like that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of us forget that sometimes that driving is probably the most dangerous thing to do and yet we do it every day no problem but when it comes to doing things that are actually like really exciting or whatever we might be too scared to do them so i think the lesson here is go do those scary things <laughs> well that's it you know it's, again you know, just, it doesn't need to be it's just and you can condition yourself i believe it's just mm -hmm. trying you know, just a small little thing and then yeah. you sort of gain the momentum you're like oh well that didn't work you know that that's good 
right? It's, you know, it's like getting air and skiing. It's, you know, now I'm 46. I don't get air anymore, but it's like, if I have, <laughs> if I have to, you know, it's just working, it's working your way up. So it's like, all right, I'm going to go off a little jump. And then I'm like, yep. oh, okay, I'll go off another one, bigger, bigger, you know, that type of stuff. And I think, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, they don't really teach that in a lot of, you know, they don't teach that in school anymore. They don't teach, they don't let kids get throttled on the playground or they don't, you know, kids I mean, don't, I hate to say it, but kids don't learn how to fight in the schoolyard anymore or, you know, their sort of hierarchy of whatever it is. You it's, know? Too cush. So, it's just too cushy now. And yeah, it's, it's cushy. And, you know, it's, there's an article and, you know, that I read that I share every year and every now and then, you know, people get mad at me, but it's called the pussification of America. And I think Zach Evanesh wrote it. That's, you know, one of Joe's, you know, Joe's buddies. And it, and it's so true. And that was more based on physical side of it, but it's, it's everything it's learning. It's yeah. And my expression, and, and I use this a lot and it's not, you know, getting outside the comfort zone athletically. It could be getting outside the comfort zone, playing the piano or playing the violin yeah. or acting or software coding or, or any of that stuff or being a hacker or, or any of that world. It's, it's sort of what fits me is doing this athletically, but there's a million different ways that you can do it. And like I said, it's, it could be through the arts. It could be through business. It could be through, you know, through all that piece of the puzzle. But that's I, really how 100%, I 100% agree with it. Uh, and I actually, that's kind of like part of the hope of my book and the hope of this podcast is that it'll inspire others to, to go do whatever it is that scares the living shit out of them, but they really want to do. Because like, I think... You know, that's what this was for me. It was one of those things that scared me, but I was like, I need to go do this because I know it's going to change my life. And if if that's playing the piano, if that's playing the saxophone, if that's starting a podcast, if that's going and climbing a mountain, if that's trying to get that, you know, new position at work, whatever it is, go after it. You know, it's going to be scary, but it's going to probably be worth it, too. You got nothing to lose. Number right. One. And number two, you're not getting out of this life alive. So. Right. Right. So you know, I mean, there's we, always the end. We only have one life to live. Why not live it fully? You know. Right. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Totally agree with that. <laughs> I love that. It's not like you know, and and then people are like, oh, you know, jumping off cliffs or Scott. You know, no, it's it's not that. It's just one little thing that could be, you know, outside your comfort zone. Drive home a different way. Come yes. the back way home from work. Right. All of a sudden, you're gonna have a new perspective on your commute. Right. Yeah. Or you know, you're learn a new route. Yeah. yeah, learn a new ride. Do something a little bit different. Go explore. Try riding your bike instead of, of, of yeah. driving one day. Try, you know, taking the bus once. I don't know. Do something that you haven't done. Just I read something recently, actually, and it's kind of why I've been trying to do things that scare me or that are out of my comfort zone. For instance, like going and singing karaoke scares the shit out of me. I don't mind going publicly speaking in front of like thousands of people, but you put me in front of, you know, 10 people in a bar and I do not want to sing because I am terrified of it. So I keep doing it. And every time I do it, I sit there and I am just like a ball of nerves, totally, totally scared, but it, it's, it's good. And the article I was mentioning is I read that with dementia and Alzheimer's and stuff like that is the more that we do things that kind of scare us, the more our brain gets rewired and creates new synapses and new connections and the less likely we are to have memory loss later in life. And so for me personally, I've started doing more of these things because I have a best friend whose father has been going through dementia and seeing it happen has been scary. And, you know, I don't want to have that happen. So I've been kind of like, all right, if, if this is supposedly, even if it isn't true, I'm going to keep trying it because, you know, might as well. So, yeah, I think that's really important to get 
to get out there and just try something that makes you a little bit uncomfortable that you've been wanting to do. So I think we kind of touched on this already, but you know, with your father being a green beret, I'm assuming that's kind of how you develop the, the power to just overcome all the unknown adversities that you've, you know, had to deal with in life. And so I don't know if you want to touch on that a little bit more, <laughs> what that was like. I, I grew up with a Marine for a father, so I kind of have an idea, but maybe yeah. green beret is a little different. <laughs> nah, no, you know, he taught me a lot of adversity, not just that way, but in other ways as well. So probably not, not on the positive aspect either. It's, you know, it's really, you know, it's, you know, I didn't, yeah, believe me, I didn't grow up in the, in, in the cushiest world and all that. And then it, you know, it was certainly an experience, put it that way. But with that being said, you know, you, you learn how to become independent, right? And that's one thing I try to teach my kids is that is that level of independence of, hey, you know, don't be afraid to go try this or don't try that. And, and I think that's, that's one thing I had learned and sort of, you know, really just kept reiterating to myself that I can survive alone and I'm probably too much of a survivalist. I don't, I'm not, you know, a big team player, you know, yeah, if, you know, I've bonded with these guys and that type of stuff and we've done well together, but overall, because they're probably the same way, you know, they're, you know, I'm not a team player when it comes to a lot of stuff because it's just, you know, and it's, you know, just really trusting, you know, the whole, that whole thing, right. It's like, all right, am I going to trust someone else with my survival or am I going to trust right. myself with my survival? Totally. And, totally. and I ask myself that, you know, all the time. And I, and, and someone brought this up to me or I read it somewhere and, and you know, and, and it's always, you know, who are the top five people if the earth was to blow up today that you would want to, you know, go to war with, or if, you know, all of a sudden something happens and yeah. you, know, you need to go fight your way back. Who are the five people that you would want on your team? And I'm still at like only two or two okay. or three because it's, you know, because it's who are you going to trust? you know, to, with your life, number one. And I think that's what the Navy SEALs do. And a lot of those guys, right. They really trust each other implicitly. Uh, and number two is just, you know, is that will or survive? How are you going to survive? Yeah. If the shit hits the fan, you know, I think I was in my career being a recruiter in the financial services business. I was during the last recession, it, it was crazy. Right. And it, and it really goes to show what our grandparents went through with the depression, right? I think they were even way worse than what we dealt with, but it was, you know, you're never going to forget that, right? And so you're always having that in the back of your head and that survival, you know, mentality of saving money and yeah. saying, holy shit, it's going to, you know, it probably won't get worse than it was, but it could, right? So it could. You know? And that's that whole just always being prepared for the unexpected. Try. <laughs> Right. Try. You never, you never can. can do. I, I just went to an urban preparedness class last night at REI. And, you know, most of the stuff I already knew it and stuff, but it's like maybe there's something I can glean from that and learn. And that way I'm a little bit more prepared for the unexpected because, you know, I'm here in Seattle now and we're on that fault. Any moment it could just like <laughs> shift and that's, that's the end. Right. So got to be ready. Yeah. Here's a couple more questions. So when it comes to like, doing all these things, you, you learn from mistakes, you learn from your failures, you learn from your successes, you're always learning. What is it that you've learned? What wisdom did you gain from the death race? Just, you know, I think just keep going, right? And, you know, the last year we did it, uh, or my perspective going into the last year, I was going to finish no matter what. It was like, in my mindset, I was ready to go to like Wednesday or Thursday. No, you know, chances are how long it was anymore. No, yeah, exactly. It was just like, you know, I'm going to the end. And I think that's it. And if you have that mentality in business, business or life, I think 
it might take longer to get some stuff done, but it's having the endurance to pull it off, right? It's just like, hey, you know, I'm just going to keep going until the job's done. Either you're going to fire me as, you know, do what I'm doing or the job's going to get done. It's one or the other. And I yeah. think that's what, you know, that's what I like about that. I think that's what Joe's really trying to get, you know, people to really think about is to just, just keep going. As, yeah. You know, there's one step in front, one foot in front of the other, no matter yeah. how bad it is. It's what are they, you know, what's, what's the quote, I, you know, I haven't won yet or I didn't win. It's something about the clock, right? You know, if, yeah. if the clock kept, go, kept going, I was going to keep winning or something, you know, something in that way. So, yeah, and it's like you just got to keep going. We're going to make mistakes along the way. It's OK. Right. Keep yeah. going. You know, like you fuck up, keep going. It doesn't matter. Just just don't stop. I think that's a great piece of wisdom. And I think that's one of the things I definitely learned as well. So do you think like the person you were before the death race and the person you are now is different? And, and how is that? Like, who were you before and who are you now? You know, I don't think I'm much different. It wasn't no. like it, for me, it wasn't like the spiritual awakening, you know, mm-hmm. and going to do it. I think it was just for me, it was the experience, right? It was more of a learning experience to go, you know, see what I can and can't do. It probably gave, you know, I'm sure it gave me more confidence to go into, you know, some other things, um, you know, race wise and, you know, longevity wise and that type of stuff. But, you know, I don't think I'm really any different. I think I'm probably, you know, I'm just, I'm just smarter (laughs) when it comes, (laughs) you know, when it comes to that type of stuff. Right. Totally. You know, I think that is, but again, is it different? Yeah, it's different because I'm smarter than I was before I started, right? Yeah, I might have, have lost some brain. Yeah, more yeah. yeah, I may have lost some brain cells along the way as well. But it's you know, it is that level of experience that you do gain. Yeah, it's it's definitely possible that we lost some brain cells out there. I mean, yeah. staying up, I know that can't be good for us. <laughs> but, yeah, you know. So, do you think you would? Uh, you know, it it went into re- retirement for a few years, and they brought it back 2018, and here we are, 2019. They had another one, and everyone's getting excited about 2020. Do you think you would ever go back or is that, is this the, is are you done with death racing at this point? You no, know, I think I'm done. Yeah. You know, I think I might go back up and, you know, I want to go up and watch and I might volunteer and do that type of stuff. You know, that I take my kids up now that I'm, you know, they're a little bit older and that type of stuff, but not, nah, you know, I'm pretty good. What's next. I, I don't know what's next. Like I said, it's, you know, it was a uh, sort of crazy summer with what we're doing, but it's, you know, I think what's next is just see, yeah. you know, the funny thing is there's sort of piece of what's knowing, not, not knowing what's next, right. Of not yeah. having that goal. Oh, I got to train for this or I got to train for that. And that's freeing in a way that I haven't really had in a long time as well. Oh, that's cool. It gives you some chance to explore maybe something new. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So you don't have any races or anything lined up right now. You're kind of just got your house built and you're good to go with that. I do. Right. You know, it's sort of, you know, just in my own journey in different ways, you know, race wise, believe me, I'm, I'll be towing plenty of start lines. I still ski race. I still do this race every year called the Inferno up in New Hampshire. I'm still doing, you know, some hard stuff, but not, you know, I don't have a big sort of a event on the calendar right now, but you know, that's one phone call away of anyone saying, Hey, let's go do this. And you're like, all right, let's go do it. I just don't have my brain's fried. I just don't have the creativity for it right now. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes we just need someone to like reach out and be like, "Hey, yeah. you want to go do this really stupid thing with me?" Yeah, sure. Right. Sign me up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's kind of that's kind of where I'm at now. I've kind of I finished my hundred miler, and I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna chill for a while. I think. <laughs> right. Exactly, and that's yeah. it. You know, I've got plenty of friends who 
Yeah, it's, it's one phone call away, but yeah. no, it's good. Okay, well, you know, one thing I do like to ask every every person that's on here is about, I love reading books. And so I have the book club. Obviously, I wrote the book on the death race. Right. And so I like books. I like to think about what I can learn from them. I really like self-help books and all that. Are there any books that you read that helped you get in the right headspace for taking on the death race or that you would recommend to others to get in the right headspace for taking on something like this or, you know, any scary endeavor? You know, I think it might have been after, you know, after the death race, but like all the Stephen Collar stuff, like the rise of Superman and the whole flow state stuff, I'm sort of big into that. Those books are really good. The flow state. Oh, what was that? What's actually, do you know the name of that book? I can't think of it. Well, there's the rise of Superman. The rise, yes. There's a book actually really good called The Art of Fear by Kristen Ulmer. She's an ex-ski racer and talking about all extreme skiing and she put it in, into, uh, it's a pretty cool book. Was it Stealing Fire? Stealing Fire, yeah, that was yeah, that was awesome. But then he had a few other ones prior to that were really good. Like I said, The Rise of Superman, and then there was another one. I can't remember what it was, but it's all sort of that. And then another book is Deep Survival, which is talks all about people in survival and how they survive through these crazy, crazy things. But then there's a book called Surviving Survival after that. Okay. which talks about people after they survive those crazy things and how effed up they are or aren't after they survive it, right? Most people talk about their survival, but they never talk about the after part. So that's a, that's a great one as well. I'm going to add these to my list. So Deep Survival by Lawrence Gonzalez. Is the other one by the same, same author? Yep, same author. Same author. So yeah, Lawrence Gonzalez, take a look. Uh, these are some good books that we can we can add to the club. Yeah, Stealing Fires, another is a good one. The Rise of Superman. There's one called Bold by Peter Diamandis, but he co-wrote it with someone else. And then another one called Abundant. So they're all, you know, and I listen to them when I'm, you know, on long training runs in the woods for two, three hours at a time. It's just sort of a great way to sort of kill time as well. Yeah, that's become my favorite way to listen to, to get through a book now. It's just I throw on the Audible and I go for a long hike and it's just like... It's a win-win. You know, you're getting the the peace and the calm and the serenity of the woods and the nature, and then you're also just learning something, or you know, maybe you're just enjoying a story too. Either way, it's like it's just such a good use of your time to have the book playing while you're out there. It is right, and you know that's you know at least you're learning something. And I do better when I'm listening to something than when I'm reading something. When I read something, I become too ADD, and then I'm starting to think about <laughs> everything else. If it's somewhat, you know, somewhat boring, and then my mind just goes in a different direction, and that's the end of me. Yeah, I can relate to that. That's like a whole other story discussion. But I've always wondered, like, how many of us uh, endurance athletes have uh, have ADD? I bet oh, you the correlation. Oh. I bet you the correlation. <laughs> yeah, I bet you it's very high. Awesome, Ken. It's been super great talking to you. Take this moment to tell everyone where they can follow you um, and where they can listen to your podcast and everything. Yeah, so you can follow me on LinkedIn is really where I live a lot. You know, I'm on, I'm just Ken Lubin on LinkedIn. You can listen to my podcast at executiveathletes.com. And then it's on Spotify and iTunes and, and everything there. So that's probably the best way to reach out to me. I'm on Twitter at executive athlete without the E and at the end. Yeah, that's about it. Facebook, there's a Facebook group, Executive Athletes, but Facebook's a pain in the ass and they want to, want you to spend too much money to get in. And so I don't do that anymore. Yeah, Facebook's become a pain in the butt. Yeah, so I don't <laughs> uh, when you all finish listening to this podcast, go ahead and jump on over and, and give Ken's podcast a listen. 
check out some executive athletes and hear their stories. Well, thank you so much, Ken, and stay tuned for more legends from past Death Racers. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Just a quick reminder, my legend, The Legend of the Death Race book is coming out soon. If you haven't already, go to the Legend of the Death Race website at legendofthedeathrace.com. Click on the banner for pre-order and sign up to get on our mailing list. You'll be the first to know when the book is released. Thanks again for tuning in. If you'd like to stay up to date on my current adventures and training, you can follow me on Instagram or Facebook. Just search the handle at thatenduranceguy or visit thatenduranceguy.com. We'll see you next time on the Legend of the Death Race podcast. Now go create your own legend. Legend.